0: Thank you.
1: One Pastor, this thing appears to be recording. You can cut out the singing, right? Okay. You don't want something that loud of me in your phone. Would you all? Would you all stand? We're gonna sing. What child is this? I want to do it a little bit different. I want the ladies to sing the first verse for us, then the men. You're gonna get a turn. Men, sing the second verse, and we'll sing all together on the third. This morning, it's 2:28 in your hymn book, or it's up on the screen. Child, is this?
0: Christ is the King who shepherds God. Tell me, what is your life? A that vanishes at dawn. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ.
2: His
0: All glory is to rise. And on the day the great and the faithful and the true. The land who was more seriously is making all. Behold, our God shall live with us And be our steadfast light And we shall wear his people be All glory be to Christ All glory be to Christ the King
2: all glory
0: be to Christ, His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Thank you.
1: You may be seated. It is right before the sermon, Ethan, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a minute this morning. Um, to do a missions moment, sort of um, something that we haven't really done in a little while. But um, really, what's going on is I want to talk about Birch and Connie, and they're not here, so it's it's always easier to talk about somebody when they're not with you, right? We all know that's happened to us before. It's not the right thing to do, but as many of you likely know, Birch and Connie are um, changing the mission board that they're currently with. Um, they're changing to a mission a mission called unfolding word, and in the midst of that transition, um, they invited the mission board over to their home to sit and to spend some time chatting with them and understanding a little bit more about the transition, why the transition, and so I wanted to take a minute to just communicate to you some of what we as a mission board have the opportunity to learn, and I want to be clear, I'm going to communicate it at a very high, probably simple, probably overly simple level I know Birch and Connie would be excited to talk with you in much more depth about it, as much depth as you want to talk. Um, I personally learned a lot about what they do right now. I learned a lot about Bible translation. I also learned a lot about kind of what their heart is for Bible translation as part of their mission. Um, so I would I'm going to summarize it. This way in one short sentence and then I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. Birch and Connie are changing mission boards so that they can narrow their focus to expand the scope of the work they do. And you'll understand better what I mean as I talk a little bit about what their new, what the new mission board and what kind of their, the new objectives will be in this, in this field. So. A real quick overview though, there are about 6,500 languages worldwide. Any idea how many of those languages have full Bible translations in them? Any idea? Just guess. It's about, it's about 650. And I'm, I can't attest to you the veracity of all of those translations, but there are about 650. There's about 1,500 that have the New Testament. Of the 6,500 languages in the world, they can narrow them down to about 42 languages that overlap and touch on all of the others. So I, I did a missions trip to Thailand many years ago, and we work with the Lahu people, and they have their own language, the Lahu language. Most of the Lahus, in their, they speak their tribal language in their tribes, but most of them know Thai, the language of Thailand, as their basic language. And so, in, in China. You know, there's more than a billion people that speak. um, Wow, it just totally left my head. Mandarin, thank you. Um, There's more than a billion people that speak Mandarin. There are many dialects within the country of China, right? But there's Mandarin. So we've narrowed the languages in the world down to about 42 that touch almost everyone. Did you also know that of all of the languages in the world, even of the 42, there is only one language that has the complete set of necessary materials in order to translate the Bible. The, the materials needed to do a full, thorough translation of the Bible. Now some of the, some of the other languages like French, Spanish, they have a lot of what they need. English is the only one that has everything that is necessary in order to do a full, accurate, thorough translation of the scripture. And so we're in a place right now where we're sort of narrowing ourselves because the American church, the English speaking church is the primary church out of the seven billion people in the world that can translate the Bible. And so the new mission that Virgin Connie are with, it's a mission called unfolding word. They, they will be with them shortly. Their goal is to equip churches worldwide to be able to do their own translations, to be able to translate the Bible for the dialects that are in their area for, so to set up the people that speak Hindi with all of the materials they needed to then go into all of the languages on the subcontinent of India and around to begin to translate the Bible for those people groups. Right now, the way most Bible translation missions work, they're focused on one, one area. So, and, and, uh, Myanmar and Pastor Jamie can speak more about this. Myanmar is a great example. They've just done a Bible translation. They're, they'll move on to the next Bible translation, um, in one of the tribal areas. And that's, that's fantastic. That's good. It's important that that work continue. But if those are English teams, those are largely American teams, I believe linguists doing that work. And they want, as a parallel track to that work that's happening, the opportunity for a Hindi team and a Mandarin team and teams all over the world to begin translating the Bible into the dialects around them. And so you go from addition to multiplication. You have the opportunity to increase exponentially the impact of the work of translation because you've moved from a largely English, largely American set of experts into creating the necessary materials and training and training sets of experts in many different languages. Something that's interesting that I did not understand is that 75 years ago, the only strategy that would have worked is the one that that they've been using since then. And it's that... You start with the English, and you you make the materials necessary to translate to one language. You know why? Because there weren't established churches all over the world like there are today. The missions movement in the last generation has expanded the church so broadly around our world that now there are established Bible-believing Christian churches all over the world that we can now equip. To take and to translate their own scriptures. And so it's, I had the opportunity to see Birch and Connie's heart in this, that they can work and create, not create, but translate <coughs> the materials necessary. Um, one of the first questions I had when they started talking, cause now we're, now we're not talking about just translating the Bible, right? We're talking about translating concordances, Bible dictionaries, material, study materials. And one of the first questions I had came to my mind was, but wait a minute. People need the Bible. That's the most important thing. Why don't we just focus on making sure everybody gets a Bible? But the point is, everybody is going to. Everybody will have more opportunity to receive the Scripture when there are more groups that can translate the Scripture. Um, and so, I uh, personally am very excited about the the change that they're making. And um, To be clear, the change that they're making is not saying we think the people we worked with in the past are doing a bad job or we think that translating the Bible to just one tribal language is the wrong thing to do. They're not saying that. They're saying our heart is in equipping the churches in India and equipping the churches in China and equipping the churches on the African continent to translate the Bible. You know, we all are beneficiaries of some similar thoughts from 700 years ago, 600 years ago, as as we broke away from the Catholic Church, as the Reformation movement happened, where they said the Bible isn't just for the priests. And I'm not saying that, that we're claiming the Bible is just for the people that speak English, but we've effectively narrowed it down to the English. And they broke away in the Reformation and said, it's not just for the priests. It's for all of us to have and to understand and we want the world to have that option, that opportunity to have, to understand. And this is a, a fantastic tool to, to do that, to get there. So I'm happy to try to answer any questions um, for you. But I, like I said, I know Birch and Connie, they are uh, very passionate about this. And they would be happy to talk to you in in a lot of detail, a lot of depth. I cannot tell you exactly what materials they need to translate the Bible from one language to another and exactly why they need certain things to get from this word to that word. I It's That's far beyond me. Um, But I'm happy to answer any questions if you have them now. uh, Or, uh, like I said, talk to and Connie. No questions. Perfect. (laughs) Can we take a minute before I I get down and let's just pray for them as our missionaries and for for the ministry they have. Father, we thank you that we can be part of Spreading the gospel. Lord, and we thank you that spreading the gospel is not bound to the words that I speak or the words that are spoken by people here, Lord, but that spreading the gospel is founded on the words spoken by you into your word. Lord, the un uh, the, the unbreakable, perfect, inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that as... Bible translation ministries happen that you would just continue to equip teams that today are translating the Bible um, that they would do so in a way that truly reflects what you spoke to your to your people to your authors of the Word of God, Lord, and as Birch and Connie embark on um, on, a, on a slightly different focus lord to to expand Bible translation worldwide, Lord would you just give them um, give them the tools they need, give them the um, the 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 patience they need equip them Lord with the spiritual maturity and growth that they need. Give them discerning hearts and eyes as they uh, as they do this work, Father. We know that none of this can happen without the perfect Almighty hand of God uh, steering the way, clearing the path. And so, Lord, I just we we pray for them today um, that you would just continue to grow them, continue to equip. Equip them. Continue to use them, Father, that Your church might grow through this, and and I don't mean I don't mean South Hope Community Church or, or 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 West Rockport or Littlefield. I mean Your church worldwide, Lord. That that everyone would have an opportunity to hold in their hands and to read with their eyes the Word of God. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, for the truth that is that's in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen.
2: The scripture reading for today is First Corinthians fourteen six through nineteen. It's neat thinking about this passage that we'll be reading and hearing about um, the burden that God's put on Birch and Connie's heart, and seeing how they're seeking to fulfill this, and be able to present the language of God's word in people, people that in the language that the people understand, so they can understand the word of God. So if you follow along with me as I read first Corinthians fourteen six through nineteen. Now brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge, or by prophesying or by doctrine? In even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except to give a distinction in the sounds, how shall be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easily to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are and many be so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. He that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so, ye, for as much as ye were zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel in the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the, with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with his spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding also. Else when those when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the realm of the unlearned say amen? At thy givings of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is edified. I thank my God, I speak with the tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding, that my mouth, that my voice, that by my voice, I may teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you desire us to understand. You desire us to understand each other and to understand your word. And you desire us to build one another up and encourage each other by using the truth of your word. Um, Thank you for the privilege we have of being your church, that being opportunity to be fellow laborers with Christ. Thank you, Father, for um, Birch and Connie's desire to help um, expand your church around the world by helping different people groups build hear the gospel. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity this past Saturday, Father, to, for Pastor Jamie and others to be able to minister to um, those that are grieving in our community. Father, I pray for them that they, for those that are here, if they do not know Christ, that they will, that Your Spirit will be working in them, Father, that they will not just take things that they can apply and soothe their souls, Father, but Father, they will be drawn to Christ, recognize that You are the one that brings healing. Father, I pray for this opportunity, for this season, this Christmas season. Father, that you will help us to have eyes to see the opportunities that are around us to minister to the people around us, whether those are our family, whether that's our church family, whether neighbors, people who come in contact with stores or doctors or wherever it is you come in contact. May we be people that are proactive in seeing and then taking, having the courage to take advantage of the opportunities that you place before us. And Father, may we be able to proclaim the Christ of Christmas and be able to take this opportunity when people are thinking, are in the Christmas spirit, to be able to show forth the light of Christ. I pray for now for Pastor Jamie as he comes and proclaims your truth to us. And I pray that you will open his mind to understanding that you will speak through him mightily. And, Father, help us not just to hear the words come in, but build be able to understand them. And, Father, then we'll apply them to our lives and be able to show them to the people around us as well. Thank you so much, Father. You can do exceedingly above all that we could ever ask or think. In your name we pray. Amen.
3: Uh, the Underhill's, who have served in Indonesia, also sent us an update. Uh, they are in Spokane, Washington, right now at their home church, sending church, and uh, they are going to extend their uh, their their furlough here. And uh, it was a very difficult season in Indonesia. They really were isolated and spent a lot of time just um, uh, Brian and Holly uh, without much support. And so they're continuing some more counseling uh, to rebuild their own hearts here. Uh, before they're considering going back to Indonesia, so please be in prayer for them. Uh, that's also an update there on the underhills. Do you remember the old Batman? You know where the where the captions come up when they fight and hit. You know Batman and Robin, the 1960s Batman. Uh, and uh, and uh, there's one Batman movie I remember I always liked. I didn't grow up in the 60s, so um, you'll have to excuse me for that. Uh, but I enjoyed the 1960s Batman watching as a kid. There's one particular movie where the penguin is the bad guy, and one of the things he does is, at the climax of the movie, is he, he has this machine that dehydrates people and turns them into this powder. And uh, he goes into the U.N. And I, was, I actually thought this was a great idea for the U.N., but um, that's my own opinion. <clears throat> he goes to the U- U.N. and takes this dehydrating machine, and they, and they dehydrate all of the, uh, the diplomats there and the representatives of their nations, the ambassadors of their nations. And what's left on their seat is this just pile of powder, uh, there. And then Batman and Robin go in, of course, and they rescue everything and, 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 uh, and they, and they, uh, they, they rehydrate. And so the people, they, they add water back to the machine and the, and, and they pour it back to the powder and the people come back. <clears throat> but what happened was, um, uh, the, the, the ambassadors now are somehow some, something got mixed up in the powders and now they're all speaking a different language than they knew before. And so the, the, uh, the representative from China is speaking Spanish, etc. cetera. Maybe, I'm I the only one who ever saw this.
2: All right. Some of you know, what I'm
3: weird quirky stuff. Sorry. Um, and uh, and and basically, that's how the movie ends. Like Batman and Robin are just sitting there, kind of laughing. They're like, "Well, you guys kind of got what you deserve. You can't get along anyway." And they're all jabbering at each other. Um, when I was in Myanmar, we flew to the United Arab Emirates, there to the to the big airport in in Dubai. And when you're in Dubai, uh, it is such an international hub. There, basically, going to every every place in Asia and Africa and Europe from there that uh, you will not hear very much English. But because, of course, English is a prominent language in the world, a lot of signs are in English, and there are people who can speak English. But if you've heard at seven or eight languages used in quick succession... Your brain is just firing off trying to grab what they're saying. Maybe from the, from the expressions they use or maybe from, from, uh, the passion they're putting into their sentences. You're trying to figure out some kind of connection, but it's very, very con- confusing. And as you, as you hear people, you try to concentrate and, and figure out what they were saying as flying over to Burma or sitting next to a group of young Germans who basically drank the, 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 the whole bar there in the, in the airplane. And uh, and uh, they were pretty rowdy guys, young guys. And I was trying to figure out what they were saying and talking about here. And some things I could kind of pick up, and some things I couldn't. A lot of things I couldn't. But you you, you try to settle in and try to clue in. What's 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 the message getting across? Maybe you've been in a setting where the sound wasn't working very well in an auditorium or or, or a particular setting, and and, uh, the guy thought his mic was on, and it wasn't, as what happens to me, and you're listening, and and he's speaking, and and, and people are kind of craning their ears here to try to to hear what he's saying, and then the mic comes on, and then you hear more and more people nodding in agreement as they begin to understand more and more. The message gets across to more and more until the whole crowd's uh, included, that's a little picture of what Paul says was going on in Corinth. If you're here this morning because you want to hear all the nitty-gritty details of what of what tongues are about and what that means and, and, and what is tongues and what isn't tongues, I'm sorry, I haven't been smart enough to figure that out here this morning. But I can tell you the point of the passage here in 1 Corinthians 14 that Ethan just read, and I'll explain as much as I can, as much as I'm able to, is this that God's truth powerfully creates. God's truth powerfully creates. And because it powerfully creates, God expects His truth to be communicated clearly. And secondly, because God's truth powerfully creates, God expects His truth to be multiplied freely. Now... The Bible begins with a speaking God in Genesis 1 verse 1. A God who reveals himself. A God who shows his power, but when he says, let there be light, simple words, light appears. When he says, let the sea and the skies be separate, that's what happens. And our God is introduced here as a God who speaks. He has, his truth is powerful and it forms and it creates. We don't form and create truth. The church doesn't create truth. We stand on the truth that God has already powerfully spoken and created. And then we see in 2 Corinthians 4 that Paul says that very picture in creation when God spoke the world into existence by His Word. And Hebrews chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 says He upholds, He sustains, he's, He's carrying on everything by the Word of His power. Paul says that very same Word is what shined into our hearts through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and it brought us alive. It, it gave us a new birth. The light of the glory of God, who is in the image of Jesus Christ, has shining in our hearts through the good news, the good Word of God's truth of who Jesus is. God's truth creates. You and I today are proof in two ways that God's Word creates. First of all, your physical existence is proof that God has created you. He has spoken His word, and He has formed Adam and Eve. And out of Adam and Eve were descended, right? So physically, your existence is the testifies to the to the point that God's truth powerfully creates. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here, and you've experienced the new birth, and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. There is a whole nother world that has opened up here to prove that God's truth powerfully creates because He has created you as a new creation in Christ. And God builds His church on top of His Word. He builds His church on top of His Word. And because God's truth powerfully creates, God does not want His truth to be wasted. God's truth needs to always be working and He expects His truth to be communic- communicated Clearly. What I'd like you to do here in 1 Corinthians 14 is focus, first of all, this morning, on verses 6 through 12. Verses 6 through 12. Paul says, Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine? This is a section of Scripture, chapter 11 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, that has to do with when the church comes together, the gathered worship of the church, and what that means, and how that's supposed to be played out. What was going on in Corinth was there was a particular gift that was given by the Holy Spirit, a spiritual gift that's referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's called the gift of tongues. We don't know all the details about that particular gift. We do know it's spoken of in Acts chapter 2, the gift of tongues. And there it was intended to bring the message of God's word uh, uh, that Jesus Christ has come, that Jesus Christ has died, that Jesus Christ is 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 risen, and He's coming again. And 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 though the, the the individuals who are proclaiming that word did not speak another person's language, that person could hear those words in their own language. In Acts chapter two, we see it all, a, another another couple times in in the book of Acts play out as a sign that God testifies uh, to the validity of the message of the word of God. But other than that, we hear nothing about the gift of tongues anywhere else, except it comes up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14, 14 in particular. What was going on in the Corinthian church was there were people who were speaking these languages, whatever languages they were, with this, with this ability of their spiritual gift, and they were making that the point and focus of their gathering together. The problem was nobody knew what they were saying, and remember, because God's truth powerfully creates, God expects His truth to be communicated clearly, and so within the Corinthian church, Paul will say, already he has said this: it's not the tongues that are the most important thing; it's actually proclaiming the word of God, prophecy, proclaiming God's word here that is that is key. And secondly, he'll say now in, in, in verses uh, six through twelve that if you're going to communicate with tongues, there needs to be interpretation so people understand what you're saying. Paul says, I myself speak in tongues, I do it privately. And Paul says, it only builds up me, it edifies me, he said in verses one through five, but prophecy builds up everyone because it's a clear statement of the truth of God. And Paul will say, if there are going to be tongues later on in the chapter, and verses 20 through, uh, through through verse 40, then you need to follow these guidelines and only two people, that's it. No, 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 no more. No more. So he really reduces what had been such an emphasis in the Corinthian church and he puts it in his place and says, tongues are not wrong, this is where they belong though. This is where they belong. What really matters, what Paul is saying, is because God's truth powerfully creates, God expects his truth to be communicated clearly. So he says, brothers and sisters, if I come to you in one of these tongues, in one of these languages, how is that going to help you? It's not wrong, but how is it going to help you? And if I bring, but he says, if I bring you a revelation of God, if I bring you a, a, a prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. That will be profitable. Notice there in verse 13, if I pray in a tongue, or excuse me, in, uh, in verse, verse six, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what, what, what will I profit you? What will I profit you? There's not there's not value, there's not weight to that like there is clearly speaking the truth. Paul says, there is profit if I come with revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or by teaching. You might say, well, why? Why is there a little profit with tongues? And why is there so much more profit that Paul says with revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or teaching? Because all those things are clearly communicated words of truth. Clearly communicated words of truth, and because God's truth is what creates, it is what builds a church. Church, God expects His truth to be communicated clearly. So Paul says, even there's even some illustrations in real life and natural life that 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 prove my point. He talks about uh, a flute or a harp, a pipe or a, or a harp. Um, if that if those instruments are not playing the notes clearly, you're just strumming your hands over the. Or uh, uh, fingers over the over the strings of the harp, or just are um, just playing any old old note there on the on the on the on the on the flute or the pipe. It it, it it's it's not communicating uh, what needs to be communicated. We had a couple birthdays this week, and this morning when I came up from the basement after putting wood in the wood stove, um, Jackson had one of those tubes from wrapping paper, the cardboard tubes, and he say and he said to me, Dad, I'm singing. And he puts a tube to his mouth and he starts making these mournful moaning noises here as he's, as he's singing. I didn't know what he was, I, there wasn't any particular song that registered on my mind as to what that represented. Um, I tried to guess as to what it was. Um, but he was making noises. It was cute, but he wasn't communicating anything besides his childishness. childishness. And Paul says, there needs to be note playing clearly so you recognize the melody. He recognized the melody. And Paul then brings up the example of a trumpet in battle, a bugler. And there were many retired soldiers in the Corinthian town of Corinth, uh, and they would have recognized this image. And Paul says, you guys, when you're in battle, you know the sound that the bugler makes when it's time to charge. You also know the sound that the bugler makes, a particular distinct sound that the bugler... That's a trumpeter. <laughs> makes when it's time to retreat. So why don't you apply that same concept here to the church? Because right now it's a lot of blah and noise. If you hear a noise and you're in the battlefield, but you don't know what it is, you don't know what the commander's trying to communicate to you. That's a pretty serious problem, isn't it, when you're in battle? And Paul says, you guys are in battle. You're in spiritual warfare and you don't know the commands, whether they charge or retreat. That's a problem. That's a problem. And he says, then he gives a third illustration. He says, just like your cosmopolitan city here in Corinth, which had two large ports and there were lots of people from other countries who had passed through Corinth. He said, what you need to know is that <coughs> is that when you uh, hear people in other languages, just like I already illustrated this morning, uh, and you don't know what they're speaking, there's a big gap there. What's the point of all this noise if you don't even know what they're saying? It's pointless. It's pointless. And he says in verse 9, it's the same for you. You speak to people in words they don't understand? How are they going to know what you're saying? You're, you might as well just be in the middle of the forest talking to yourself, right? And then in verse uh, 10, he says there's, there's lots of different uh, languages in the world. Every language has a meaning. But if I don't understand a language, the person who's a foreigner who's speaking it to me is wasting their time. And if I speak uh, to them and they don't understand my language, uh, I'll be a foreigner to them. The same's true for you, and he says in verse, verse 12, you're eager to have the special abilities, the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, but here's what you need to do with that. Here's how you need to love one another. You need to seek those gifts that will strengthen the whole church. He doesn't throw tongues under the bus and say tongues are, uh, you shouldn't practice tongues in the Corinthian church. What he does say, he puts them in perspective, and he says what does matter is that God's truth is understood. In fact, if you look in this passage eight times, and you can underline this, eight times the idea or the word understand is repeated. Eight times. That really tells us, for Bible students, uh, what God's trying to get across, isn't it? That God's truth, because it is powerful and because it creates, God expects His truth to be communicated clearly. How do you know if God's truth is communicated clearly? If it's understood. If it's understood. <clears throat> You remember Romans chapter 10. We quote often when we know that the Scripture says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be will be saved, right? And then Paul goes through these questions that make us think about the importance of the messenger. And he says, well, where does faith come by? Faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing comes by the Word of God, right? And of course, then he... Talks about the necessity of, of the messenger here, but friends, hearing is no good if there is not understanding. If the message is not clearly communicated, and because God's truth powerfully creates, and it does all through scriptures, He creates promise to Abraham. Right? He uh, he he creates the nation of Israel here by His word through His promises. He creates. Uh, uh, the promise here to, to the church that nothing will extinguish the church in Matthew chapter 16. His truth powerfully creates. God expects his truth to be communicated clearly. Be communicated clearly. In fact, let me show you what remember in Matthew chapter 13 when Jesus gives the parable of the soil is there. And he talks about the guy who's throwing seeds into the field and uh, and he describes the different kind of soils that that seed lands on, and he says the seed is the what? The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And he talks about one particular good soil and represents the right heart that receives the word of God. And that right heart he describes in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 23 he says, he that received good into seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and what? Understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So he hears it, he receives it, and he understands it. God's truth is meant to be understood. Why? Well, remember the last thing Jesus said before he ascended this, before he left this earth. Because God is a missionary God who loves the world. And he has, he has delegated the responsibility of his people to make sure that his word goes out to all peoples. He told his disciples to go make disciples of all the nations, make followers of me, imitators of me, of all the nations, red and yellow, black and white, all the nations. And, 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 and to do this until the end of the age. So what is that? How does that connect with truth? How does that connect with this concept of God wanting his truth clearly communicated? Well, it means ministries like the Bible translation ministry that you've heard about here are necessary. Because it is all part of forming people into the disciples of the Lord Jesus. And it also means that that work will not end until the age has ended. Until the end of the age, until the end of the world. And so... Uh, one of the things Jesus said here, uh, uh, about, about making disciples is that we, we make disciples as we are going, and we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the third thing was we what? We teach them to obey whatever Jesus has commanded us. Well, how do we teach people to obey? if there's not the Word of God and there's not a clear understanding of the Word of God. So this plays all into this into the idea here of the church as it is being discipled, as being grown, as they are evangelizing, that God's truth needs to be very clear. Very clear. And our God is a missionary God. The God of Islam is not a missionary God. He's the God of submission, forces, right? Puts the hammer down, submit. Our God is a missionary God. The Quran, the Islamic Bible, must only be read in Arabic. True Islamic worship can only be in Arabic, that single language. Uh, the Quran must only be read in Arabic. So you must become proficient in Arabic to really understand the nature of the revelation of whoever Allah is in the Quran. Is our God like that? No. No. Our God has done what is necessary to bridge the gap between the cultures. And He has given the Word of God to us, His truth, in a variety of languages. A variety of languages. And when we understand that fundamental fact of the nature of God, He is a missionary God who loves to share Himself and loves to minister to all cultures here and wants His Word to have, to be clear truth so it is obeyed, so He is glorified here then we'll understand that the Tower of Babel that occurred in Genesis chapter 11 where there was one language and then all the because of man's pride and rejection of God that God stopped that Tower of Babel and then he scattered all the nations by giving them many, many different languages. Pentecost comes in Acts chapter 2. And what happens with the Word of God then? People are hearing the word of God spoken. They're understanding it. God's word is being known in many languages here. And the Great Commission calls Jesus' disciples to bring his message to all the nations. And then that means that all, that means that the message is supposed to be brought into all the languages of the world and to the end of the age. So there's always a need to make sure that the truth of God is clear and the heart language of the nations. So unlike Islam, Christianity sees God's truth as translatable. And for the church to carry out its mission, truth is mandatory and translation is mandatory in order for us to deliver to the nations the clear truth in their own heart language of what God's word says. In fact, when the New Testament was written, there were a couple different forms of Greek that could have been taken. There's a form of Greek called Attic Greek, which is more of a higher-level Greek. It's more of a Greek that those who would be more educated would know, more of the nobility. And then there was the Koine Greek. Guess which Greek God chose to translate the Bible into? The Koine Greek. Why? Because it was the common language of the Roman culture, of that, of, of that society in the Roman Empire. It was the again, God is a missionary God. He desires his, his truth to be clear. He desires his truth to be plain, uh, here for the common man. We can even see this in our, in our English Bibles over the years. Tyndale in the 1500s comes, comes in the scene and, and, uh, in, in England. And he says the Bible, it, it's only be, it's only translated in Latin and It can't be understood by the common Englishman who doesn't know Latin. And so he translates the Bible into English. He says this, I had perceived by experience how that it was impossible to establish the lay people in any truth except the scripture were plainly laid before their eyes in their mother tongue. You know what mother tongue is an old word for? Your heart language in their mother tongue, that they might see the process, order, and meaning of the text. Tyndale wanted the scriptures to be comprehensible to the masses of England. He said this, If God spares me, I will cause the boy that drives the plow in the fields to know more of the Bible than the priests in the church. That image there of a plow boy was brilliant. Because a plow was generally illiterate in that society, Tyndale deliberately set out to write a Bible that would be accessible to everyone. And to do this, he even uh, 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 worded things so that the syllables were easier in the Old English. Phrases like this, the Word was with God and the Word was God. He made it very simple and clear. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The effect of this was immeasurable and it spread. In fact, um, uh, later on, uh, as, as more translations came, eventually a translation called the King James Version came and 90% of it was Tyndale's. 90% of it. It improved some things and then even the King James or multiple editions uh, after that, that. Because the point of it is that they wanted the Word of God to be clear in their own heart language in their day. Here's what the King James translators wrote in their preface. And some of you might have this preface in, in, uh, in some, of your, some of your Bibles. I know some editions include the preface uh, that the translators wrote. But they said this, speaking of other translators who had gone before them, they said, Therefore, blessed be they, and most honored be their name, that break the ice and glueth unset upon that which helpeth forward to the saving of souls. Now what can be more available thereto than deliver God's book and to God's people in a tongue which they understand? They wrote later on in the preface, Truly, good Christian reader, we never thought from the beginning that we should need to make a new translation, nor yet to make of a bad one a good one, but to make a, book, a good one better, or out of many good ones, the principle, one principle good one, in other words, they saw themselves used by God to build upon the work of others to provide translations for the people of God because of this truth. In 1 Corinthians 14. Because God's truth clearly, uh, needs to be clearly communicated in order for it to, to build the, 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 the work that, and the will that God has, then they needed the word of God to be very clear. This has been a principle all throughout missions. This has been a principle all throughout scripture. And this principle reveals the heart of God, doesn't it? What does that tell us about God? That God and His church didn't want people performing virtuosos here as solos that nobody understood. But He wanted His truth to be clearly communicated. What does that communicate about God? First of all, obviously communicates that He's a God of order, and we'll see that later on in the chapter. But it also tells us that God Himself has always clearly communicated to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, there's things about God that God has chosen not to reveal to us, but there are things that He has made clear and plain, and that's what we're to hold to. You know, one of the Bible study principles that has been drilled into my head is the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And what I see in 1 Corinthians 14 is God saying, His truth is valuable, it is worth uh, the effort that God has put into it, and therefore it must be presented clearly, and it shows us that God is also a God of love. Because God has communicated Himself to us. God introduces us to Himself He introduces us to Himself, the One who has always existed as a speaking, creating God. He desires to share Himself with us as truth and grace, and He intends for it to be done so clearly. And that's what we enjoy this season, don't we? That God is with us. That He has incarnated Himself. That He, the God of Heaven became man. He translated Himself into the way that we could understand as He walked among us. And John says He tented or He tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. That's what we rejoice in at Christmas, because God is a God who loves the world and loves to share Himself. And then the second point here we see in First Corinthians 14, and the final point is this. Because God's truth powerfully creates, God expects his truth to be multiplied freely. In other words, if it's to be communicated clearly, it's to be shared, right? But if it's to be multiplied freely, then that means we're to be good stewards of his truth. We're to see it multiply. We're to invest in it. We're to see. We're to see uh, our, our activities expand. How much the word of God increases here? The word of God increase among our own hearts, among our church. The reign of Christ through His word uh, uh, blossom and transform our, communi- our community. He says this in, in verse thirteen. And he's speaking here in verses 13 through 19 about those who were using the gift of tongues and enjoyed it. And he doesn't condemn the enjoyment of it. What he says is you're only edifying yourself. You're having this experience and he talks about your spirit, talking about your spirit here, your spirit here as, as they prayed in tongues, uh, as they, as they, uh, shared in tongues there in their church. He says, okay, it's, it, it, it's not that it's that, it's not that that was, that was wrong, it's that they were missing the boat with it. And they were being built up and edified, but it wasn't building up the church body. And he's saying, because God's truth powerfully creates, God expects his truth to be multiplied freely. Paul says, anyone who speaks in tongues and uh, should also pray for the ability to interpret what he's been said. He says, what's the point if you don't understand what you're saying? If you sing and you don't understand what you're saying, if you pray and you don't understand what you're saying, if you're joining, in, if you're giving thanks in verse 16, but they don't understand what you're saying, you might be giving thanks really well and doing a good job, but if it's not strengthening the people who hear you, because it's not clear, they don't understand what language it's in, then what's the point? Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. But he says this, when you get together, in verse 19, when you get together, he says, by my voice, I, he said, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding than by my voice. I mean, that by my voice, I may teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And what he's saying is this. Now we gather together, you should have come this morning to build up the church in your interactions with each other. Paul presents himself as an example. And he's telling them that he expects them to do the same thing. Okay, he might not have come this morning with a sermon prepared. We probably don't have enough time for you to give it anyway, because I'm already going along. But he expects them to do what he is doing in principle, and that is build up the church. He has said this all throughout. He said you're not. He's pointing out they're not spectators who are sitting comfortably in the stands watching an athletic event. They're fellow runners in a relay race, 1 Corinthians 9. They're stonemasons building a temple. He's laid the foundation on which they must build. And what he's saying is this. Does the church exist for you? Or do you exist for the church? Does the church exist for you or do you exist to build up the church? That's a paradigm difference, isn't it? It's a huge difference. You see, the building up of the community here in 1 Corinthians 14, and he said this all through, uh, of ed- with this idea of edifying is the basic reason for getting together. We don't go because it's Sunday and it's 9.30 or 10.45. It's time to go. We don't go because we're, we're, we're wondering, okay, what's what's he going to say about this passage? You might be wondering about this passage. We don't go to see, okay, what so-and-so is going to wear for their outfit. I think they wore that last three Sundays. No. We go to build one another up. In fact, Hebrews ten says that, doesn't it, so clearly that when you come together, you come together to provoke one another to love and good works, to build people up. Now, the building up of the community is the reason we get together. Um, it, 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 it's not. It's not. We don't come because oh, they're going to sing my favorite song today, or I'm not going to come because oh, they're going to sing that song again today. We don't turn the corporate gathering into a thousand individual experiences of worship that make my heart go flutter or make my heart not want to flutter. That's not the point. You are here to build up other people. That is why you're here. And how many Christians all throughout our country gather for worship with the understanding that it's not about what they might gain from a certain experience? Or the message really got him today, and or oh, that one's a flop. Right? But your participation is focused on this. That doesn't mean by the way, you don't take the word of God and apply it to your own heart, right? But your focus is this how do I benefit and build up those who have gathered with me? You see, because God's truth powerfully creates, he wants his truth to be communicated clearly. in our scriptures, in our writing, in our texts, in our emails, in our conversations. So we always need to be working at that, right? But He also expects His truth to be multiplied freely, stewarded. He has given you an unbelievable deposit of sound doctrine and truth in His Word, hasn't He? What are you doing with it besides letting it sit here? It's supposed to be turned into energy, right? When you eat, it's to be turned into energy to do stuff. When you take in the word of God, it's to be turned into spiritual energy so that you affect and uh, affect and impact other people's lives by the spirit of God through his word. That's God using you. He saved you for these things. And over and over if you read the book of Acts Uh, six times he will talk about how the Word of God increased in their midst. Why would he use that language? Why wouldn't he say a bunch of people just got saved? Why wouldn't he say, and their, their attendance grew more and more every Sunday? No, he says the Word of God increased. It means that God's power in His Word was having visible effects among the community. The saved community and the lost community. They were impacting because the point of First Corinthians fourteen, although I don't understand all the different details of it, is this: God's truth matters. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we ask that you change us through it. Lord, would you create more and more a a a, a grown group of people who who uh, take the word they are, and they are studying it together. They are they are communicating it together. They are taking the principles of your. Word and, and they are applying it to their families and they're applying it to their work and an employee, employer situations. Uh, they're applying it to their marriages. They're applying it, uh, to their parenting. Uh, they're applying it, uh, to their relational, uh, abilities with strangers and with family and with friends and with neighbors and, and they are living out the truth of the Word of God. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, and you expect it to be multiplied among us. Help more and more people to meet together around your word throughout the week. Lord, we need men and we need women who invest in others with the word of God, who make disciples, who challenge, who build up others. Lord, the church doesn't exist ultimately for me. that I, We are to be servants of the church the church is to be a servant of Your Word. And Lord, as You make what You have promised to make, and may we see Your people filled with You. Lord, it's not enough to have a building just full of people. We need a building full of people who are full of You. And so we ask that Your Word do its work. And that we do not just... Take it and let it sit there, but it multiplies. It gets in us and it gets out to others. In Jesus' name we pray.